why do people become CEOs? How do they really spend their time? And if you're not one already, how might you become a CEO? My name's Matt Crabtree. I'm the founder of a consulting company called Positive Momentum. And in this series of podcasts, I'm going to be asking CEOs from a range of different organizations tough questions about their past, present, and of course, the future. We'll learn who influenced them most, what they defend in their schedule at all costs, and the big changes they see coming up on their horizon. This is Meet the CEO. My guest today is Claire Marchant, Chief Executive of the Universities and Colleges Admissions Service, well known in the UK and increasingly around the world as UCAS. UCAS is an independent charity providing information, advice and admission services to inspire and facilitate educational progression, as well as helping more than half a million undergraduate students to secure their place at one of 337 UK universities and colleges every year. UCAS also supports conservatoires, initial teacher training and postgraduate courses. Commercially, UCAS is widely recognised as the go-to provider of higher education data-driven insights, a vital resource to hundreds of organisations. Claire, welcome to Meet the CEO. Thank you, Matt. Pleased to be here. Great. Now, Claire, UCAS is your second time as a Chief Executive. You were mm-hmm. formerly Chief Exec of Worcestershire County Council. So let me start by asking you the question I ask all of our guests. Why did you become a CEO? Um, really interesting because um, I don't think I ever set out uh, in my younger years to become a CEO. I didn't think, oh, well, one day I want to be a chief exec or, or, or even run my own company or anything like that. I wanted to be Cagney from Cagney and Lacey because I thought she uh, had an interesting life. Uh, little did I know when I was watching her in my teens, she was also an alcoholic. But um, that's who I wanted to be, either her or someone from L.A. law, uh, which also seemed quite a glamorous sort of occupation. So it was a lawyer or a policewoman. Um, so I never set out to be a chief exec however I suppose um, when the potential opportunity came my way a good or probably eight nine years ago now um, having operated a a, you know reasonably senior level for at least 10 years prior to that um, I the the big thing for me is about changing organizations for the better and particularly where they have some purpose other than profit Um, and so if you can take either a public or a third sector organization and make it more in touch with its customers and and, you know in the case of Worcester County Council it was residents but it's customers um, and speak more to those customers listen more to those customers and you think you can do a pretty good job of that when you look around the organization you sort of go why not Um, and that's that's what I I, I really, I suppose, when I was I was landed with a potential opportunity, obviously, then I had to fight for it because you go from why not to, oh, actually, the more I get into this, and it's like any recruitment process, isn't it? You then go, you know, do I do I want it? How much do I want it? How much am I prepared to sacrifice as if I want it? You know, how much can I tell tell the convincing story that I believe in about how I would run this place? Um, so the more I went through the recruitment process, and for, for most chief execs, that's a three to six month process. With Worcestershire, it was three or four months. I thought, I really want this and I can do a really cracking job of this. Um, 
And then having done it once, um, uh, I then saw an opportunity come up at UCAS. And again, it was um, it was not planned, but I saw the opportunity. I saw the challenges at UCAS and I thought, actually, this is even better fit than Worcestershire County Council in terms of my own uh, professional skill set um, and the ability to then relate it to young people, mature students, uh, a really key point of their life. So, so yeah, I never set out to be one, but presented with the opportunity, I thought I could give it a really good cracking go um, and then saw something even more relevant when UCAS came along. It's really interesting and very uh, honest and vulnerable, you know, to acknowledge that actually very few people, I think, set out to be a CEO. But when the opportunity arises, as you say, to change an organisation and to change outcomes for customers, um, that's where the real excitement begins. Claire, um, let's talk about the day to day a little bit. What do you preserve in your schedule every day? What is sacrosanct in terms of your day-to-day routines? So I'd like to think a part of the day was sacrosanct, but actually um, one of the things I think if you're a chief exec currently or you're looking to be a chief exec is you have to acknowledge that actually none of the, the day is really sacrosanct. There may be things that are sacrosanct. So you've, uh, um, and I did, I read a Harvard um, Business Review article once, I think I've mentioned it to you before, Matt, around integrators and separators. I'm an integrator. That's how I work. So, um, you know, very much I will make sure I do my exercise. I probably exercise five or six times a week. Uh, but it'll be integrated into my uh, work pattern. So, you know, particularly during the pandemic, it's been like, if I can get a run at lunchtime, fantastic. Otherwise, it'll be first thing in the morning. However, if I'm doing, you know, early morning, there's been lots of broadcast stuff over the course of the last year, then it'll have to be lunchtime or the end of the day. So I'm very much an integrator. I know other people, regardless of their seniority, can be separators. They have to have a rigid, this is my work as, and then I leave it behind. Whereas I'm quite happy to pick up a computer at nine to 10 o'clock at night if I need to just do that little bit of catch up but exercise would be something that I have to I have to do for my own mental health um, I'm I'm pretty fit I probably still need to lose you know, a few pounds but I do it mainly for my mental health and then the other thing is I've got a 13 year old and you know however senior you get family is important you know you only live this life once and so you want to walk away from this life knowing that you've uh, done the best to those closest to you not just in the the role that you occupy so um, I try and spend uh, you know an amount of time each day particularly over dinner time so something like dinner time uh, and the pandemic has given us I think more of an opportunity to do that with my 13 year old uh, even if he doesn't want to spend time with me uh, which is increasingly the case. Uh, being I'm sure that's not the case I think that that um, integrator separator thing is so helpful to resolve some of the guilt I think that sometimes people totally unnecessarily feel about the manner in which they choose to do their work and as long yep. as you've got your family priorities your physical priorities then, then you can make it work in the, in the with the approach that you take um let's talk about challenging situations the pandemic has obviously been an enormous curveball for all of us but as you look back over your time as a chief exec what's been the most challenging event or situation and what have you learned from it claire um i think it doesn't take me long to think of this one actually um because you know the pandemic, as you say, has been quite challenging. Um, but in some ways, there has also been upsides. I think, and you know, um, I'm you know in a privileged position of having a job and having my health and stuff like that. And we must never forget how privileged um, many of us are in that regard. Um, so it has ups and downs. Um, for me, um, I was about 18 months into my Worcestershire chief exec role, um, and I'd been in the organisation for about five years by that point, and our our children's social care services had been under considerable pressure 
and um, I brought the local government association in um, to do a review of children's services, which they found it, it wanting. And, and that sort of like was my instinct that it was wanting. Um, and uh, then we had Ofsted in who found it inadequate. And, and I think the reason I pull that out as the most challenging thing is um, sometimes what you face as a chief exec is of your own making. Um, sometimes it's of your own making directly because of the people you recruit or um, something you haven't seen strategically, you've been blindsided by. Um, sometimes as a chief exec, um, you're faced with very, very challenging situations, which you know of. In fact, you have unearthed. It's in the really, really hard part of the difficult box and you've gone, this needs dressing. Um, and no one really thanks you for it. Um, everyone, you know, ultimately it's then yours to, to sort. Um, and to have... Um, not, not just the entire council, which, you know, Worcestershire covers several hundred thousand residents, uh, it has 56 councillors, uh, we had a, a lot of broadcast TV focusing on us, um, is that the thing with children's social services is it is such a, an emotive uh, part of a council's business. You know, these are very, very, very vulnerable uh, young people, uh, children, you know, sometimes not even being born children, you know, uh, that are in care or at the edge of care. And your organisation is not doing well enough by them. And so you're, you're coping personally with fronting up uh, the acknowledgement that the organisation needs to do better, whilst at the same time going to bed at night going, and this is really, really impacting uh, very, very vulnerable people. How do we get through this? And I'm the one that sort of um, brought this to light, you know. Um, Obviously, Ofsted was the, the thing that, that I had to sort of work through, but I was the one that brought it to light. So, so sometimes as a chief exec, I think in a way the things that are easier to deal with, the things that you're making, the ones that are more difficult and challenging to deal with, the things that you know are wrong or uh, the organisation is not doing to the best of its ability, you unearth it and then very publicly have to turn the corner on some of those things. And I found that very personally challenging. You know, um, I sleep pretty well well 99% uh, of the time and that three months in my life I did not sleep very well at all for all of those reasons I've just outlined um, and I think it goes to, to, to one of the things about a chief exec though that it's a very very lonely place when things go wrong it's a lonely place most of the time but when things are not going well um, it's a lonely place and I've got you know a great partner but even your partner doesn't quite understand um, a lot of the time when things are going wrong how, how difficult it is because they don't understand completely the environment. And when you choose these public roles, not only is it lonely, but it's also very public, isn't it? You were in a role that was locally, regionally very public, and now you have a nationally public mm -hmm. role. What did your experiences at Worcestershire, how did that prepare you for an organisation that certainly in the UK, everybody knows and gets attention because it's their... Uh, young people working their way through higher education and how did it prepare you for what you face now? I had a great piece of advice from my predecessor at Worcestershire um, and she said um, and she was quite a tough tough lady actually a tough cookie um, I, I got on with her very well um, but th there was something she said about um, 
wanting to do the job rather than needing to the job. And I have met a number of chief execs over the years who, um, and this is going to sound slightly petty, but um, have bought into the, the trimmings and the trappings that come with being a chief exec, you know, and have, and have got their, perhaps their, you know, their children in the right school and they've bought the, you know, the big sort of swanky mansion and all the rest of it. Um, and, and they get to a point where they actually need to be a chief exec. They need to earn the cash that comes with being a chief exec. And the best piece of advice I got from my predecessor was do it because you want to not because you need to so I've never really done it for the money and that's quite a good place to be because it means every day you go into work you go into work because you want to go into work you want to do the job you want to change the organization you want the team to be the best it can be possibly be you want it to serve its customers better than yesterday not because you need to pay a whacking great mortgage or, or whatever and I think as soon as you get yourself into that position in any senior role you're sort of a bit of a servant to to, to the organization in a in a wrong way you know you sort of have to make it work and so I think my bit of advice I suppose would be um you know and everyone's up to you know it's up to everybody how they spend their money but never absolutely need to earn you know a very good salary because you need to be able to go do you know what I'm not the best person for this job or I'm not enjoying it anymore or I'm not doing it to the best of my ability and I'm able to walk away um never be trapped in that I've got to I've got to keep this job so that was certainly something when I went into UCAS I still keep to this day you know um, I'm not saying I live particularly modestly but you know I, I live in a way that means that I go in because I want to go in and I think the second thing that I learned from Worcestershire going to, to UCAS is don't take too much time uh, in fact move on it quite quickly to build a team around you um, and I was helped in UCAS because a couple of people decided I wasn't the chief exec that they wanted to work for and left within three months um, but but also um, just in the first 18 months you know I pretty much changed almost the entire team brought a couple of people through the organization um, uh, and then brought some new people in um, now you might find as a chief exec going into a new organization or being promoted into a chief exec you've got 80 percent of your team in place which is fab but whether it's 20 percent that you need to change or a full 80 percent get on and do it because you are only as good as your team and that's the biggest thing i learned from worcestershire i waited a little bit too long in that regard now we're going to come on and talk about the team in a little bit more detail in a moment or two before we get to that on the topic of advice you you talked about advice you've been given Who's most influenced the way you lead as a chief executive, Claire? I'd love to give you a great answer to this of somebody that either in the public eye or in my personal experiences has been the one person that has inspired me. And I'm afraid I haven't got that, Matt. Um, I think it's um, what I what I'm what I'm quite good at, and this doesn't sound particularly modest, so apologies, but um, is taking bits from a lot of people I see around me. You know, there's, there's um, I can think of four or five different people, both in my time in Deloitte, uh, my time in the NHS, um, individuals where I've gone, they've either given me advice or I've watched and learned from their uh, leadership styles. So um, gentlemen I worked with both in Deloitte and then also in the NHS, um, who I admired greatly, but was exceptionally, um, it was a very assertive style of leadership, exceptionally assertive, very, very demanding of the people underneath him. Um, that was probably my style for quite a while, then being softened slightly from picking up other styles and the fact that you can get the best out of people without being quite that assertive and so I've picked up I think the the best of probably three or four leaders I've worked for over the time um, 
and then I've got my own sort of learnings from way back. I think childhood, you know, and how you grow through your teens is a big impact on you. So I still look at people, and this is going to sound very glib, but people like Madonna who've reinvented themselves and keep learning the whole time. And I always quote that because I think there's something in reinventing yourself, learning, never thinking you're the finished article that I love about that. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't got a sort of straight answer for you. I suppose the only reflection I have is, um, I would hope moving forward and developing and continuing to develop as leaders, I think we all should, regardless of our position. I hope the people I learn from are a little more diverse. You know, the background I came from working through Rankovis, where I was the only female uh, on site for, for um, three or four years I worked there. Um, you know, working through Deloitte, which was predominantly male dominated, I think there was a single female partner in my seven, six or seven years at Deloitte, uh, through to uh, the NHS, which was on the IT side of things, again, quite male dominated. I would like to see more female leaders that I can learn from. I was I was blessed with that at Worcestershire. So Trish at Worcestershire was a great inspiration for me. Um, you know, she believed in me as well. And I learned things uh, from her. Um, and I learned from some of the female leaders around me now, both within UCAS, but also in the broad the HE sector. Yeah, very well said. Um, we have to hope, don't we, that our legacy of our time as senior leaders is that we leave behind us a substantially more diverse workplace in every definition yeah, of, that, of that word. Um, let's talk about team. Uh, you reflected a little bit on the learning of kind of re-establishing uh, teams. What's the secret you feel to a really effective executive team. So that that top team in the organisation, what, what's the secret to it? Um, I'm still sort of searching for the secret, although I do think, you know, I put a lot of effort. So you've got, first of all, you've got to put a lot of effort into it. You've got to really believe this is worth investing in. And the amount of senior people who seem to put uh, recruitment, networking, talent development, all at the back of their to-do list rather than the front of their to-do list. And I've always believed all of those things, both for your, your own reporting uh, you know, team and the, probably the level below as well, really important to invest time in. And they do take time, you know, uh, virtual networking, getting to know people, understanding, you know, whether they've got something to bring to your organisation, not cutting off your nose to smite your face. So actually keeping in contact with people that might not be right now, but might be right in three years time for the organisation, I think it's really important so investing time in it i think is key i think in terms of a successful team um with with the real senior roles and you know all of my team of in very senior roles i'm sort of looking for expertise but beyond expertise i'm looking for collaborators people who are interested in the organization who can put their ego to one side you know and sometimes i get that right and sometimes i don't get that right but where you get that right it makes the shorthand of day-to-day -day communications uh, building consensus uh, enacting change taking people with you all of that is so much easier if people are more interested in the success of the organization than the success of them as individuals i've always believed if you if you work hard if you are competent and capable take people with you recognize talent um, and and almost put your own ego and your own success to one side you will be successful that will come as a sort of nice side benefit um, i think that's the other thing with team um, and I, I really believe this is you have to keep investing in it you know you have to keep going how can we get better how can we um, and the pandemic's been a great example of this you know in my team i've got people who have absolutely loved they may not say loved but they come across as if they have loved operating out of their study for a year 
you know, and there are obvious benefits, no commute time, you know, probably more dinners with the family, those sorts of things. Now, these are hardworking, committed individuals. Um, I've also got people uh, like myself who actually find uh, all the management by walking about, the catching people in the coffee queue, getting the sense of an organisation, just that feel of an organisation they really miss. And so actually you've got to then go, even though we've got a great team, how do we make this work in a, in a COVID pandemic situation? And beyond that into a, uh, everyone talks about a new normal, but a way of working that is gonna be very different, I think for not just a foreseeable future, but I think forever it will be, um, it will be different. So, so yeah, I think, you know, a few things around team, invest in it, not just at the beginning in terms of recruitment and talent, um, but what you're looking for, and then continue to invest in it even when you think you've got the right team very very nice thank you um we're coming to the end of our short time together i have a couple of last questions for you um having established your team and it's always in a state of development what's the biggest change on your near-term horizon claire you've talked about this new world of work i wholeheartedly agree with you there mm. but what else is big on your horizon I think, um, I mean, a couple of things, um, because I really enjoy uh, leading this organisation, UCAS. It's a fantastic organisation with a, a very dynamic, youthful sort of cohort of staff, 400 plus staff. Um, so actually, although uh, the pandemic does present challenges in that regard, I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to leading the staff group in, back into this new normal. I think for us, the biggest changes are probably in the external environment um, and, and both political, um, and I say that in the broader sense of things in terms of actually here's a government that came in with a big majority uh, that had big plans and effectively has had to deal with a pandemic, you know, Brexit and then a pandemic is, is basically all they've been able to focus on for, for a good 18 months. Um, and so at some point I'm going to come out of that and going to go, right, we want big policy change in a number of different areas. And, and UCAS is right at the heart of some of that higher education policy change. So both that and a very competitive landscape are my biggest challenges and our organisation's biggest challenges moving forward. Um, so I think those are the ones that um, I pay most attention to because the, the actual leading staff out of the pandemic, whilst I do pay attention to it, I, I will enjoy doing that. And I, I know how to navigate that. Um, the external landscape is much more difficult and tricky to navigate because less is in within your grasp and control. Um, so that would be the biggest change moving forward. It's a really uh, interesting situation, isn't it, that as we come out of the pandemic, having adopted so much of our thinking time for you know, more than a year now, we're going to have to remember there's a whole series of other things going on out there and in your world those are driven to some extent by by politics and national priorities yeah. um, and we're going to have to get back to those and uh, I, I think that'll be pretty good for all of us um yeah. listen last question i think you've given us some really great advice already but i know that many of our listeners are people who are thinking about mm. uh, potentially being a ceo in the future now i suspect they have already taken to heart your do it because you want to do it not because you need Need to do it piece of advice give us another couple of quick pieces of wisdom claire for anybody contemplating a career like yours 
Yeah, I mean, one of them I've mentioned, you have to just recognise that it is lonely, uh, you know, and if you if you haven't got high levels of resilience, high levels of self-motivation, high levels of being able to churn through a problem, you know, I do it through a run and, and work it through, you, know, you might do it through meditation or yoga, whatever, um, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. A year in, you're going to struggle because anyone who think you get to a chief exec and that's the end of the story is that that, that is superbly naive. You know, it's the beginning of the story and your uh, quest to change an organisation. So um, I think just recognise you need to have high levels of resilience. You've got no one to run to, you know, a lot of things you can't share. Um, and so, um, and even when you try and share them with your partner, to be quite honest, they're probably bored after 20 minutes of it and just want to watch a little bit of TV with you, you know, so, or go to dinner in a, in a new world. I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is around team. We, we touched on that. You, you sort of need to let go of small things. You need to trust your team. You know, I see things happen in UCAS. I did in Worcestershire and I don't agree with every decision the organization makes, you know, you know, a recruitment of a senior manager or a, you know, I will know when to get my long screwdriver out, but yet cannot get your long screwdriver out on everything. And you just have to let some things go and trust your team. And then the final thing, Matt, would be there is no set way to do a chief exec, you know, and I think there's a little bit because we have been, um, and this is in any sector, not just higher education, the people we have seen in positions of power and authority and chief exec roles are predominantly male, white, reasonably middle class. I think we've become accustomed to a certain way of being a very senior leader or a chief exec. And actually, and you know, Jacinda Hearn in New Zealand shows you there are different ways of being a leader. Now, you might not like her style, you might find her a bit dull, you know, it's all about kindness and inclusivity. Um, but there is different ways of doing it. And I wouldn't say, you know, follow Jacinda Hearn, but do it your own way. You know, there is no set way to do a chief exec role. And so you have to sort of have quite a good uh, inner self to look in and say, how is the way I want to do this? What is going to work for me? Well, with role models like you around, Claire, then uh, I feel very optimistic about the future of a more diverse community of chief execs um, from Cagney and Lacey to Madonna, uh, but more importantly, from resilience to the development of a team. I want to thank you so very much for taking part in Meet the CEO, Claire. It was really great talking to you and uh, look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. been so looking forward to welcoming Claire to meet the CEO and she really didn't disappoint did she? So many gems in that discussion but I particularly love the spirit of becoming a CEO not because of needing the trimmings and trappings but because you really want to do it you want to affect change and as a result serve your customers and your teams better love that spirit. Claire, of course, echoes others in the importance of building and investing in the executive team, but her emphasis on championing greater diversity at that level and in finding true collaborators who, in her words, can put their egos aside. Well, I can tell you from personal experience in working with Claire, that's much, much more than rhetoric. I also learned this really helpful metaphor of the long screwdriver from Claire. This habit that some of us, I'm ashamed to say, sometimes me included, have of just getting too involved in issues and sometimes not allowing the space for the team to make decisions and as a result, grow and become more independent. 
I suspect that's a sage reminder for many of us. Well, thanks again to Claire for joining us. And if you want to hear the wisdom of more amazing CEOs like Claire, then please click subscribe below. And if you're enjoying the series so far, please give us a rating. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to welcoming you to the next no-nonsense episode of Meet the CEO. Thank you.